Welcome back to What's the Deal with Alex. I'm your host, Alex, if you didn't already know that. Um, Why is it called What's the Deal? It's because it's gone out of style. Uh, People don't say it like this anymore. But it used to be like, what's the deal with this? Or what's the deal with that? Here I am to tell you what's the deal. Or at least what's my deal, you know? Uh, And if you've ever watched uh, Modern Family... Uh, Just think about their definition of what a deal is, and then uh, it all makes sense. Um, But the first thing that I want to talk about, as always, well, first, two things, kind of like three things. I know, that's a lot, but some things that I do not like, some things that I hate, I guess you could say, or uh, I really, really, really don't appreciate or like. First one is, um, this is usually a younger lady thing, but I've seen adult women do this. And uh, it's unacceptable. Um, another, yet, yet another group of people that should probably have their rights taken away. Um, but let's get beyond that. It's when people, and I'm not saying it's just women. I think there are probably dudes that do it too. Shame on you dudes. Um, but when they, when people scream really loud, they scream, right? And then they put their hand over their mouth right as they're done. Like, why did you put your hand over your mouth? When the scream is over now, you've now brought attention, even more attention than the scream because everyone's going to look, echolocate where the scream came from and they're going to see the one person with their hand over their mouth and be like, oh, it's that person. Why? Why are you doing that? Why, why put your hand, like you, you stop screaming. Whoever, have you ever seen when people, when someone does that, have you ever seen them scream and then put their hand over their mouth and they're still screaming like they just can't help but scream? What is the point of that? You're not sneezing. You're not coughing. Nothing's happening. You're just putting your hand on your mouth. You look stupid. Is what I'm trying to say. That leads me into my next point: is screaming in general. Um, there, just like for for men crying in public, there are appropriate times that you can scream as loud as you want. That is, uh, for let's say for a woman, when you're getting chased by somebody that wants to do harm to you, uh, when you're fighting for your life. I don't know. Th- things that are obvious, like you have to scream. It's the only your only way of getting like the attention out there that you're in danger, because that's what screaming implies: is that there's something wrong, and someone should know about it, and they should come come help me right this second. But if you're screaming, just like to scream, because like I don't know, it's fun or funny or whatever. Shame on you, man. And I'm talking about adults now. Right now, I'm talking about grown people. Or even young adults, right? High school, up all the way up until you die. If you're screaming because like, I'm talking about like really screaming. I don't know. I don't think there's like, for me, there's no spectrum or, or slider of screaming. You either are screaming or you're not, you're not screaming. There's no like, I'm just kind of like half screaming. I guess that would be called like yelling or raising your voice. Different words. Screaming m- means something. Different. It's an extreme. Um... So dudes will quote unquote scream. I, I don't consider this screaming, um, but at sports events, of course, right? Or at the TV at a sport event, they will raise their voice or yell. They ain't going to scream 
Um, because it's very rare for you to hear a grown man scream. Um, there has to be some something real serious. I mean, because even if like the 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 situations I described earlier, you're getting chased, you know, someone's trying to assault you in some way. If you're a man, you ain't screaming over that. You're running. You're running fast, but you ain't screaming. You're gonna die first before you scream. At least, at least that, that's how I feel. I, I, it will not. I'm not much of a man, a man's man, right? I am a millennial, so it's like, what do I know about what it means to be a man? But I, I know for me that if I'm getting chased, you know, you know, some murderer is chasing me, um, I, I'm gonna run as fast as I can, and I got some long legs. And when that fear and adrenaline kicks in, I'll be moving fast, all right? Um, but I ain't screaming. He could catch up to me. I ain't screaming. I'm fighting. I'm kicking. I'm punching. I'm biting. I'm doing whatever I can. I ain't screaming. But at sports events, I'll yell. Get a little rowdy. Something good happens. I'll clap because I'm respectful. And I'm a man. We don't scream like that. Now, let's transition to children. Because you may think, like, oh, children, they scream, that's fine. Up until about the age of three, maybe. And I have to look at what two-year-olds are capable of. But I know three-year-olds, you can do this. No screaming, unless you're in danger, unless you are scared. Unless you're scared. I'm not even, I'm, because three-year-olds, four-year-olds fire, they're incredibly dumb, right? Their, their, their brains are like, I mean, could fit in your hand, the palm of your hand. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but they are dumb. I mean, go walk up to any four-year-old, right, and uh, say like, "Oh, well, how do you feel about uh, what's going on in Afghanistan?" They be like, "What is Afghanistan? What? What are you talking about? Where's my dad?" Like, you, they're very dumb. They're not in the know, right? Uh, I think I have a clip, but I'm not going to put it in here. But it's just Matt Walsh talking about how dumb four-year-olds are. And he's like, if you've ever taken even a toddler, just say just a toddler, whatever age you want to describe that as, and you ask them, what do you want for dinner? They're going to be like, well, you know, I'd like some uh, some gummy bears, some vitamins, the, the chewable kind. Don't give me none of that, you know, like chalky. No. I want some gummy vitamins, some whipped cream, and tear tots. That's what I'm, at dinner, that's what I want. And that's not uncommon. That's every four-year-old. That's every four-year-old. And they're dumb. But at three, I think at a minimum, earliest, three and a half. But by four, they should understand that you should say, if you're scared, if you're scared, if you feel fear, which you know by the time you're three or four, you can kind of conceptualize what fear is. When you feel that, then it is okay to scream. And then afterwards, we'll talk about whether or not it was appropriate in that moment, right? Like if you're outside... And you scream because you stepped in a dog turd or you see like a big bird in the sky. Um, we'll talk about it, right? We'll have, you know, be very firm. It'll be the only time we talk about it. Um, but I'll say, all right, now you did good. You were scared. You stepped in poop or you saw a big bird. I get it. Those things are scary. But those are not things that you scream about. Okay. All right. Acknowledge me. We got it. All right. Let's move on. That's what I would say. Because screaming because you're having fun? Nah, nah. I live like not even a block away from uh, elementary school. And they have recess outside and stuff. And throughout the day, I'll take out the dogs because I work from home. 
and I can hear the screaming, the piercing screaming of these children. Having fun, no doubt. It's, I mean, if I heard a grown, like, because there's a difference between children screaming and a grown woman screaming. If I heard a grown woman screaming like that, I would be like terrified. I don't know if I should like go over there. What should I do? But they're children. But it's so annoying. I mean, they're just like straight line from the, my backyard to where they're playing recess has got to be like, I don't know, a quarter mile, less than a quarter mile, probably. And it just, it, I hear it so clearly. It just pierces my, my brain, makes me dumber. And I hate it. If these parents would just teach their kids, just don't scream. You're outside having fun. You can do that silently. You know, you can laugh even. You, have you ever heard anybody have a laugh as loud as their scream? No, just laugh. You can have fun, be outside, but you don't have to scream. Same thing goes with roller coasters. Does screaming help you? What does it do? Does it make the experience better? Because I know like at least for tennis, like women's tennis, when they're playing and they're serving or volleying back and forth, they're grunting, which makes it unwatchable. But I know that there is some science behind it that doing that does give them a little bit of extra oomph when they volley it back or when they serve or whatever. But on a roller coaster, at a scary movie, uh, what does it do besides annoy everyone around you? So that's my little spiel. Next thing is somewhat related, but you know, I mean, it's pretty related. If your kid is at the school down my street, or that's not like down, I can't, you can kind of get there from my street, like through a sidewalk, through the back, whatever. But the main entrance is on a different road. Um, but if your kid's out there screaming while they're having fun, um, what are you doing at home? All right. How are the parents? How's that going? And so if you look up, there are four types of parenting, right? Um, let me see. Four parenting styles. It goes neglectful to all. So like the X axis from the left to the right says demandingness. I don't know. Is that even a word? Uh, this is at cnbc.com, so take it with a grain of salt. And then the y-axis from the middle up is responsiveness, right? So at the bottom left, you have neglectful. It doesn't matter if you understand what I just said. I'm just throwing it out there. But at the bottom left is neglectful. And that's ex- you're indifferent to your child's emotions. You provide little nutrients or guidance. Yeah, that is neglect. And then to the right of neglect is authoritarian, and that's parent-driven, sets strict rules and punishments, one-way communication with little consideration for the child's social-emotional and behavioral needs. Okay, And then I don't understand the difference. Uh, I'm just not good with words or whatever, but above authoritarian, so all the way to the far right of the four parenting, so the top right, square is authoritative okay um i don't see what whatever don't get caught in the in the the semantics of it but authoritative solves problems together with the child sets clear rules and expectations open communication and natural consequences and then to the left of authoritative but above neglectful is permissive it's child-driven Rarely gives or enforces rules, overindulges to chill to the child to avoid conflict. So I guess you can probably guess what I'm going to talk about. 
and why, what, which one of these four I hate, right? I hate neglect. Obviously, if you're neglecting your child, you, uh, um, it depends on the circumstance. Like if you have a kid and you literally can't take care of it, I think there are already systems in place to take care of it. But if you're like actively neglecting your kid, uh, you should probably go to jail forever. Uh, if not like die, I guess, but that's for a different time. Um, but this is from verywellmind.com. It says, what is permissive parenting? Mm, I really, just from the title, I, I, I'm still confused. I'm not sure exactly as a parent how I should be in permissive parenting. It feels like I should be permissive, but I need more detail. I need more facts here. Okay, so let's, let's read. It says, permissive parenting is a type of parenting style categorized by low demands with high responsiveness. Permissive parents tend to, tend to be very loving, yet provide few guidelines and rules. These parents do not expect mature behavior from their children and often seem more like a friend than a parental figure. These parents tend to be the polar opposite of so-called helicopter parents. Instead of hovering over their children's every their child's children's every move, permissive parents are incredibly lax and rarely make or enforce any type of rules or structure. Their motto is often simply that kids will be kids. While they are usually warm and loving, they make little or no attempt to control or discipline their kids. Because there are few rules, expectations, and demands, children raised by permissive parents tend to struggle with self-regulation and self-control. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it says based on research. But like, you ain't, ain't nobody need to do research. According to Bromrend permissive who is paying for these studies? I could just tell you this. I'm 26. I am, I am not a parent in the uh, natural way. I, at least legally, I'm not recognized. I have two dogs uh, and a cat. I mean, I, I co, we have shared custody, this cat. Um, but I have two dogs. I'm a parent, just not recognized legally one day. Um, that is my fight. But. You don't need to pay people to study like, okay, well, how does permissive parenting affect the kids? I wonder what, uh, what, what, what could be the outcome of this? Uh, if they <laughs> tend to struggle with self-regulation and self-control because no one's taught them. No one showed them what that is, what that's like. It's characterized. So permissive parents tend to be very loving, yet provide few guidelines and rules. Why can't you be both? Why can't you be very loving, but also provide some guidelines and rules? They don't expect mature behavior. Nobody does. There's no parenting style where I'm going to expect my four-year-old to act like an adult. Or, or at least mature behavior. He's four, six, seven, whatever. I'm not going to ask him to do my taxes. I'm not expecting. The bar is pretty low if you're four. I'm just acting like, act like a four-year-old. That's it. So I set guidelines rules and structure that's appropriate for their age and where they are in their development. But this this permissive parenting style is that they they don't the the motto is kids will be kids is the the, the dumbest not the most it's not the dumbest thing in the world there are plenty of other things but that is a dumb motto if that like I'm a I'm a proud permissive parent and kids will be kids all right you know, after 9-11, we're just like, you know what? Terrorists going to terror, you know? I know you, you feel scared right now. That's how it'll be. Terrorists going to cause terror. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Uh, just get back to your daily lives and hope it doesn't happen to you. Like, that's terrible. Especially for kids. 
who are so like so moldable um, early on and all and, and all throughout in different ways moldable um, from the time that they're three or four all the way up until they're you know a young adult they can be very influent they can be influenced easily so giving them no structure no ideas of what obedience is um, what it means uh, to be to have early on right I'm not saying like when your kid's 14 you can't have more of a friend like I'm talking from a dad's perspective so if, if I had a son and he was 14 or 13 12 something like that then we can start to introduce some of the like we're bros you know like I got your back and the, you know the, our relationship is different than you and your mom's right because I'm your dad you know and you're my son you know but when they're six um there, you can't be friends with your kids when they're four or five, six years old. I mean, they have, they'll find a stick on the ground and be like, this is my friend. That's what you want to be. You want to be the stick. I don't like it. I don't understand where this sudden respect has come from for these stupid little kids. I mean, legitimately you are dumb for a long time. I mean, people are dumb now. They'll be, they'll be like 40, 50 years old. Be dumb as a stump. If but like, your your the front of your brain, I think it's prefrontal cortex, which I think is in the front of your 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 noggin. Uh, but I don't care where it is; it's a thing that doesn't and it 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 controls uh, self regulation and self control and uh, risk analysis stuff like that. Doesn't fully develop to your twenty five. That's why teenagers act dumb; they act more emotionally than rationally. But what really bothers me is, oh man, this website says parentingforbrain.com. It says one of the, uh, some permissive parenting examples is uh, a child's freedom over responsibility. Uh, they place very little responsibility, such as chores or homework, on their children. Nice. Way to set them up for success. You can literally do nothing. You don't have to do a thing. Treat their kids more like peers. This is what I'm talking about. More like peers or friends than children. They want to see them as friends. Do you know what kind of friends a five-year-old might have? I mean, like if you're a fly on a wall at school and his friends, you want to be that to your kid? Do you see, you're, you're, you're saying that you being the friend of your five-year-old, right, and you're saying is kids will be kids, then why don't you just let his friends parent him, right? Because permissive parenting, there's a few guidelines, few rules. Go ahead. Uh, go meet the parents of your kid's so-called best friend at that time and say, hey, is it cool if your kid kind of like parents my kid? Because um, that's just what I believe. I believe that, I, you know, I should be more of a friend than a parent or an authoritative figure. It's just healthier that way. No, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're dumb. And, and I think a lot of parents will be like, yeah, that's super dumb. But they'll do that exact same stuff to their kids. The kid will be like, uh, I mean, very young, even two, three, four, out in public, throwing a fit or whatever. And they'll be like, honey, please stop. Please, please. I've asked you. No, no, please. What? What? Are you kidding me? You're asking your kid, please, please. 
No, it's a stop now. And you can lay down. I mean, off the top of your head, you just think of some sort of punishment. I've, I've, I mean, I don't know, not fantasized, but I've had the, this vision of what it would like, what I, what I would do if like, you know, we, we went to Carowinds, which is a, or just a theme park in general, right? Or some sort of roller coaster place where I think theme park is the right word. I don't know. And it's, I'm there with my kids. I got two kids and they're acting a fool, right? They're acting a fool. The whole car ride up. I've told them, you keep doing this. I'm just going to, we're going to, I'm going to turn around. We're going back to the hotel or back home or whatever. We're done. You think I want to be here? No. Too many people screaming. So we're walking up there. We're there for five minutes. One kid runs off or does something that I've told him not to do a million times. Does it. I'm like, all right, that's it. Come here. I grab him very forcefully, not, but not like in a hurtful way, but me, you know, I'm serious. Grab them. And we're leaving. Gone. You got to follow through with those things, man. Those are huge. Because kids, as they grow up, same thing with puppies, that's how I know, I'm very wise, is that as they grow up, they want to push their boundaries out and out and out and out. They want to they want to test you. Okay, mom and dad, what you going to let me get away with? How about this? And then if no nothing happens, because you're a permissive parent, you're like, oh, kids will be kids. It doesn't matter that he you know just pooped in the living room. Now he's going to think pooping in the living room is totally normal. He's going to do it all the time. And it's your fault because he's a stupid kid. He doesn't know any better. You know who does? You. You know better. And you should be teaching your kids better than um, what you're doing right now. I mean, this website <laughs> says uh, the effects of permissive parenting Worse academic performance, no kidding. More impulsive and aggressive, wow. More prone to delinquency, substance abuse. Less able to self-regulate. Yeah, because no one was regulating them and showing them how. Because you're not born with the with this idea of how to self-regulate. You literally poop your pants for an extended period of time before you learn how to use a toilet. There's no self-regulation. You just poop, you just go. And that extends it to... Social parts of you being a kid. You don't know. Worst social skills. Yeah, because I'm, you know, my parents were always my friends. You have a dad? No, I just have a buddy. Um, so this says on the surface, authoritative. And that's what I was saying. I was like, I, I think I'm more, would be more authoritative. Um, but I, I also, um, let me go back to that CNBC. CNBC, yeah. So it says authoritarian, which is, so it has no responsiveness, which I don't, I don't know what that means. Let's see if that, that it tells us. As well as degrees of response, responsiveness, the extent to which parents are warm and sensitive to their children's needs and demandingness, the extent of control parents put on their children in an attempt to influence their behavior. It says the authoritarian uh, is parent-driven. All of this is parent-driven, except for permissive. All of it is. I mean, if, if you're raising your kid and it's not parent-driven, I'm not. I'm not saying parent-focused. I'm saying parent-driven. Who, right? Who's driving? Right? Who's doing the work? It's the parents. So I agree with that. Sets strict rules and punishment. That's got to be done. That's got to be. So I would say I'm like in between this authoritative and authoritarian. Um, 
because I don't necessarily want just one-way communication with little consideration of their emotions and stuff. But authoritative has says open communication and natural consequences. There are no natural consequences to like some of the things that you would might want to teach a toddler, right? Um, because if they go around and they start saying like that guy's fat um, out loud in public, no one's gonna be like, hey beat that guy up like no he's a four-year-old but you should probably teach him like hey don't say that that's really mean why would you would you say that to me that hurts feelings you don't like when people hurt your feelings right so yeah like you have this open communication but there's not enough there's not enough natural consequences like yes um i don't even understand that this natural when i think of that i think of like you're gonna like jump off a big rock or something it's like oh you're gonna like uh hurt your ankle or something better not do it uh, no, that would that right there would be the one-way communication with little consideration for the emotion. The kid could want it with all his heart. I don't care. If you're jumping off a 20-foot ledge or something and you're six, seven, whatever, uh, what I say goes. And if you do it anyways, by God, help you. You better start praying. I don't know how to pray that. I, I can, mm, mm. So, yeah, I, I know I've talked a lot about things that I hate. Uh, I might just do that for this whole podcast. I'll find some more things that I that I hate, or maybe something that's relative to uh, just current events. All right, here's something that is uh, current events related, and something I hate. Believe in that. Can you can you even believe that current events and something I hate being the same thing? Crazy. Uh, what current event might I hate? Afghanistan pullout. Boom. Um, so I'm trying to find like a good timeline of what's going on so I can give you the full picture and you can realize WTF, because I don't curse, is going on. You know, what, 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 what did he, who's making decisions? All right. Because uh, Biden, um, I have like my mom, you know, I know of people who have seen their grandparents and great grandparents or parents. You know, I mean, he's 78, right? If I type in Joe Biden age, when does he turn a million? So he's 78. Yeah, he's going to turn 79 in November. 79. U.S. male life expectancy is 75. He's already outlived his life expectancy. I mean, that's probably to do with the the you know 70 years in government or whatever. But it goes all the way back to Trump. Trump says uh, he's going to pull out of Afghanistan on May 1st, 2021, but do not release two classified annexes that set the conditions for U.S. withdrawal. Um, yep, yep. Okay, so he's the one who started out the wanting to pull out. Which So let's, let's tackle this at a piece of time. So just in general. Uh, evacuating Afghanistan, pulling the rest of our troops out, right? Um, when there's been little violence, right? So, I mean, so uh, according to Wikipedia, which is always trustworthy, oh, it's based on a website called iCasualties.org. Um, if we look at, and it only goes up to 2016, which is not what I want here. I was hoping to get 
Okay, so this is all fatalities. It goes up to 2020. So this is all fatalities, right? So all U.S. fatalities. Could be by accident, could be friendly fire, could be anything. Uh, the killed in action only is only only goes up to 2016. And that year they had one. Um, but in 2020, there were, there were nine fatalities. And four of them occurred in January. So something must have happened in January. I don't know. Um, the year before that, it was 22. So there wasn't like hundreds of people dying a day. I mean, every death is a, is, is a catastrophe. I agree. Like all, was this 31 people in the last, since 2019? And I don't know how many, you know, so far. But um, I, it's, I mean, it's it obviously, a, what's the word? It's a tragedy every time any one of our uniformed men or women die in any way, either by enemy hands or friendly fire. Good Lord, that would be hard to really cope with um, or through an accident of some sort. Um, but it, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of killed in action people going on over the last few years. Um, so the idea of pulling out at this point, right? We've, we've equipped the Afghanistani government with everything they need. Um, their military force is like, what he's like 350,000 or something like a lot of people in it. They got an air force, they got all kinds of stuff. So they should be able to handle themselves hopefully because it's costing us a lot of money and people are dying even if it's in small numbers, they are dying. Um, and we don't, we're tired. This has been such a long drawn out thing. Um, so we're going to leave. And so Trump put that into motion way back when, and then Biden says like, eh, I don't know about, uh, it, you know, April or May, whatever. Um, so he changes it to like September 11th. Yeah. So he, on April 15th, he did a full, delay until September 11th. So, and then the Taliban responds with a statement. I can actually click and read the statement from the Taliban. The Taliban issues statements. They know how to like use computers. Is is this a big PDF? Cause it's taking a long time to load. It's one page, uh, but there's like a lot of pictures in here. Okay. So it says the recent announcement by the American president about withdrawing all forces from Afghanistan not returning to war with Taliban, not staying there forever, withdrawal, blah, blah, blah. Um, but as the withdrawal of forces is being delayed by several months and will be completed before September, will, will be completed, we would like to declare the following. The decision is a clear violation of the Duha Agreement and non-compliance with its commitments. Uh, as this agreement was signed in the presence of United Nations and representatives of numerous world countries and organizations and is currently being breached by America. Um, so all sides should understand that the Islamic Emirate has so far compiled, complied, sorry, I'm dumb, complied with the agreement exceptionally well, has implemented it and considered it the sole solution to the conflict. Now, as the agreement is being breached by America, it in principle, opens the way for the uh, 
the muhadists, right? Is that how you say that? I'm not even going to look it up. Uh, the, it's so here. Let's see. Um, if I copy this word and go here and I paste it, how do you say this? Mujahideen. Yeah, Mujahideen. That's the the state. Mujahideen of Islamic Emirate uh, to take every necessary countermeasure. Hence, the American side will be held responsible for all future consequences. Not us. Um, and when he's referring to uh, the Islamic Emirate, that's what they're going to call themselves once they take over uh, all of Afghanistan. So that was a statement they put out when uh, Biden decided to, you know, kind of push it back a little bit. Um, let's see, when did... So May 18th, uh, the de- de- Defense Department... Um, releases a report for the first three months of 2021. And it says the Taliban initiated 37% more attacks this quarter than during the same period in 2020. Um, The Taliban maintained close ties with Al-Qaeda and was very likely preparing for large-scale offensives against population centers and Afghan government installations. Um, So June rolls around. July, so on July 6th, they left the Bagram airfield near after nearly 20 years by shutting off the electricity and slipping away in the night without notifying anyone, anybody or anyone. So uh, good decision, Commander-in-Chief. Um, so on, then two days later, Biden says, uh, speed is safety and moves up the timeline for full troop withdrawal to August 31st. Um, let's see, moving on to uh, the actual catastrophe started. This, I would say, kind of starts here. August 6th, it says the Taliban takes control of its first province, the capital of Nimroz, I don't know, Nimroz, uh, whatever, province in Afghanistan, despite the agreement it signed with the U.S. It's, this is factcheck.org. They have to throw it in there. Despite the agreement, they they just made a statement earlier on when he delayed that uh, it's not our, our fault, it's your fault, whatever happens. August 15th, Taliban fighters enter the Afghan, Afghanistan capital, Kabul. The Afghan president flees immediately, which is insane. He just runs away. U.S. evacuates diplomats from its embassy by helicopter. Uh, the next day, in a speech to the nation, um, Biden says this, and this is ridiculous. Uh, I do not regret my decision to end America's war fighting in Afghanistan and deflected blame for the government's swift collapse. So he said, in, like as a synopsis, uh, let's see, I don't know, I don't want to play the speech. But he's basically like, no, I have no regrets. It went great. Uh, if you're looking for anyone to blame, Afghanistan, they suck. I know we like left the airfield and cut the electricity without telling anybody. So there's that. Um, but uh, that wasn't a part of the rules. We didn't have to. We we could do whatever we want. Uh, and so you know, and they're well equipped. They're good to go. So that's kind of the story. Where we're at, where we are at right now is that the Taliban owns 
all of Afghanistan, right? We fought a war for a long time to make sure that a terrorist organization would not have some sort of planning center for terrorist attacks in the future on whoever, right? Because if you look at a map, zoom out, scroll over to Earth's butthole, and we'll see uh, Afghanistan right there, um, right next to its friend, Iran. You don't think they're going to, you know, have some have some talks? Uh, and then Pakistan, very good friends with the Taliban. And uh, the Pakistanis hate India. Uh, so uh, that's not good. And I'm pretty sure Russia has talked to the Taliban. Um, and they have positive relationships with them. So that sucks. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the full picture. So I want to tackle the first point is... Should we have even like pulled out to begin with? Um, I think I think we should have probably left earlier. Um, I think we had like it kind of because it was over twenty years. Like the objective of the mission kind of like you know uh, evolved over time, right? It started out as one thing and it ended as something else. Where it's like we want to just wipe out the terrorists and then we want to well we should probably like world like country build a little bit. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. But yes, I think definitely. If it was true that they they had their own fighting force, their own air force, their own everything. um, I mean, I don't know. See, I I would have... Was there no indication that... Because a lot of people... Because you can Google pictures of planes leaving the Kabul uh, airstrip. Uh, And a lot of the pictures there are of young men, young fighting age men. Um, So, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to believe that the U.S. military or intelligence, anybody, like they didn't know that uh, the Afghan army would just kind of like surrender and flee. The president would dip after like like immediately um i don't know why there wasn't sort of like you know like when you're when you're like i have experience with this i don't but i know what the methods are for teaching a kid to ride a bike right you you have the training wheels on and you get them to do that for a little bit and then once they're ready like okay we're going to take the wheels off and i'm going to hold you and you just pedal right just pedal get your bearings get your balance you're going you're going and then you know the dad who usually does it uh would let go um, very softly, very gently, very, very, you know, uh, gradually. So you don't even notice. And then he's like, look at you. And you turn around and you look, and you're like, wow, no one is helping me right now. I got no training wheels. I'm good to go. There was none of that. Like that, that would have been my strategy to see if they could fight and handle it themselves because immediately it became apparent that they cannot. So, uh, if people were caught off guard by this, um, I, have, I mean, I have a lot more questions than that, but there should have been that kind of transition, not just like, okay, we're just going to leave. Good luck, guys. Uh, but like, uh, can you prove, you know, you know, there, there's a Taliban thing, you know, here, uh, go take care of it. Just you guys. We'll watch, but you you guys go do it. You know, none of that. Because a, a lot of them just gave up. What? Makes no sense. Um. 
I mean, I, I remember kind of, um, when it comes to Afghanistan and, and Iraq and, um, everything in between Syria, Libya, I, I never really got the f- full grasp or mentality that this was America's might, right? Um, a drone strike here, missile strike here, there, you know, like, you know, uh, the rules of engagement were very confusing and, uh, it was just whatever. I feel like we should have just like steamrolled in. We eradicated, we just eradicate everyone who's in a so-called terrorist, so Hamas, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. We just roll through those places, destroy, kill all of them, destroy them. And then the ones that survive, uh, I mean, there's like, there's going to be just a couple, so you don't have to worry about that. And we'll, we'll set you up for the future so you can handle any sort of like uprisings sh- should they occur. But we just uh, took care of business in like a week. All right, thanks. Because I do, as much as people don't want America to be the world's policemen, it's too late, man. We are what we are. Who, who else do you want to step in? When time like times like these, right? Let's let's envision a, a scenario that could happen very soon. Um, Russia just annexes or invades the Ukraine; they just take it over. Or China, because I think I talked about this in my uh, Mao episode, that people that live in Taiwan consider themselves the true Chinese, right? Because there was a revolution that pushed them out to the island. What if China just annexes the island and just takes it from them by force or just saying you're mine now. And then saying, if you don't comply, uh, then we'll use force something like that. Who do you, who's going to step in and like try to, you know, be for the good guys in a sense, right? You think uh, Russia will do that? No, no, Russia definitely. You you want Australia to do that? They're right there. No, there's no, no chance. There's no chance. I'm trusting Australia to handle that situation at all. They might just get taken over themselves. The EU, you really think the EU, the the <laughs> the organization that uh, Great Britain wanted to get out of so badly? I mean, half the countries in the EU that don't depend on themselves to defend themselves. Uh, and just some quick Googling can kind of give you an idea. Uh, I'm sure there, there are other things that you could... Uh, look at, um, maybe as a counter argument, but this is what I'm going with. Um, the, the European union, which has like, I think 25 countries in it, uh, something like that. Um, and I think at least according to this, cause I had seen another, another website that included Russia and in, as part of the EU. I'm like, I'm not sure. No, no. So maybe they just joined. I don't know, but this goes up all the way until 2019 and it's the military expenditure in us dollars um so yeah it's about i mean the 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 name of it kind of yeah kind of tells you what it is so the entirety of the eu spends 219 us or 219 billion us dollars on defense as a whole all of the european union all of them right and even if i were to pick out like Germany, they spend $49 billion. okay? What about France? Did they learn their lesson after World War II and surrendering immediately to Hitler? They spend, 2019, $50 billion. 
in U.S. dollars per year on defense military. How much does the United States spend? Um, it's actually kind of rising recently, and then there was a dip. But even right now, it's seven hundred and thirty-one billion. I mean, and point seven five. So we can round up say seven hundred thirty-two billion dollars the United States is spending on de- on defense. Um, and then if we look at the European Union as a whole, it's two hundred nineteen. I mean, that's what is it? At least it's three, and then and then some. Three times the amount America was spending. And even if we go all the way back, we go all the way back to the year we, we set the, the time scale from twenty one from two thousand one to twenty nineteen. EU started at nineteen billion and now they're at two hundred nineteen billion, which is pretty good, and that's pretty good. Oh, and I forgot that the United Kingdom or Britain or whatever you want to call them, they left the EU, so they're not included in that. Um, so when I look up their expenditure for the United Kingdom, it's $48 billion. so it's even less than, than Germany. Uh, so that would that extra you know, $50 billion help with the, what, 273 that they had? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, a lot of what NATO is, a lot of a lot of these countries don't spend very much, like per capita, um, or even, I mean, percent of GDP. Uh, and we look up for the European Union, and uh, it's 1.4% of GDP. Um, but United States, it is... Um, this was the highest in 2010. That was 4.9, and then we cut it a lot, and then Trump came in and started raising it up. So now we're at 3.4% of GDP. So we, we, as one country, spend more on our defense, our military, as a percent of GDP, almost three times as much. Well, about two and a half, I guess. Two and a half times as much as the GDP, as what the European Union would spend as a percentage of their GDP. I know I'm getting boring, but my point is that what other world power or groups of world power, whatever, EU, um, or even the UN, which has no real military at all, who else is going to come in and stop these bad things from happening, right? When... I mean, how long ago was that? I think it was like 2005. Um, uh, the tsunami that hit India or uh, Sri Lanka in India. Um, it was 2004. That's right. Because it was uh, the day after Christmas. That's how I remember it. But it was a horrible, horrible earthquake that then created a massive um, tsunami that killed, it says here, Almost 230,000 people died. And who were, the, were some of the, who was the first person to get there with humanitarian supplies? America, right? When, when Haiti in 2010 had their crazy earthquake, who showed up, right? I still remember Red Cross and all these things, all these activities or events and, and uh, being pushed from private companies and the government 
to donate to Haiti. Um, I think I brought it up before, but just personal wealth, not wealth that gets stolen from us through taxes, but wealth that we as private citizens of the United States give away um, would exceed the majority of any European Union country. Um, it was like $450 billion or something that we freely give away. That's not including U.S. foreign aid. That's not including anything. It's literally just a private citizen giving to a charity. That's it. No other country comes even close to that. So it's, it's not an exaggeration to say like America is the most powerful, wealthy, and well-off country for whoever, whatever kind of person you are, in the world. And the only people who disagree are people who have never left America. The poor, the, 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 how the U.S. government defines poverty in America would be like upper middle class in like Venezuela. In Venezuela, you probably would be uh, murdered because that's too much money. But um, you'd be like upper middle class in Mexico City. Uh, anywhere in Africa, you, you made you know, what is it? $24,000, $27,000 a year. What does that break down to per day or whatever? Like they're living off two or $3 a day. Uh, you're doing incredible. Um, I mean, even if you look at places, in, a majority of the countries in the EU are dependent on other countries. They're little leeches. They're little barnacles, right? Especially the ones that were part of the Iron Curtain that were liberated. Um, they depend on a lot of these other countries for self-defense, for food, for oil, for all kinds of stuff. Um, and that's just a fact, right? The reason people would consider Vietnam a loss or um, the Afghanistan, the, the, the entirety of our involvement in the Middle East, a loss is, a, is, a, is of execution, not of purpose. Um, so anyways, I got real off topic real fast. Um, Biden pulls out real quick, like, and leaves everybody there, right? There are still thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are trapped at the embassy. Those are just Americans, but then there are tons of Afghanistan people who, uh, want to leave. Um, I'm trying to find, cause there was, uh, I mean, for, for 20 plus years of all this work and in a couple days, the Taliban, <laughs> the Taliban just takes over all of Afghanistan. Yeah. So August 14th, the country's fourth largest city gets taken the next day, Kabul, Falls and the and, and immediately the president flees, the government collapses, and the embassy is evacuated, just like the Saigon one, Vietnam. Um, let's let's just worry about right now, uh, Americans. How many American citizens are still left in Afghanistan? So over the past couple of days, when asked, the Defense Department hasn't really been able to give an exact number of American. Uh, citizens that are kept, kept, you know, basically trapped in Afghanistan and how we're going to get them out. Um, so it's a, this says Sullivan, who is... So 
the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, said that a significant majority of the 37,000 individuals evacuated by the U.S. military over the last nine days are Afghan citizens and allies of the war effort because there are several thousand more Afghans seeking to leave the country. But Sullivan estimated a few thousand Americans have been evacuated from Afghanistan, um, but they don't give a specific number again. Um, this one is from a day ago. Um, it doesn't know. Um, Sullivan then appeared uh, on Meet the Press, and he estimated that roughly a few thousand Americans were trying to leave Afghanistan. And I think I am going to insert a clip here of Biden being asked uh, by a Don Lemon, like a friend. Like, if I was Joe Biden, I'm like, what the heck, Don? I thought we were cool. I thought we were chill. What the heck? Um, I'm going to play this clip because it's from an interview with Don Lemon. And Don Lemon just asked him a simple question. Is there, like, anything else, anything you would have done differently? And I want you to hear his response. So I'm going to put this in here. Uh, hopefully it doesn't extend the length of the podcast, like, too long. But I think it's it's worth it. Oh, correction. I was wrong. It's even worse than I thought. It's George Stephanopoulos. I don't know why he has a job in media, but he does. And he's the one asking the hard-hitting questions. So it's not Don Lemon, even though he sucks a little bit less, but still sucks like George. So here's a clip. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there... We, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. So that give, paints you a pretty clear picture of how he approached the situation. Um, if you go into a situation knowing that bad things are going to happen no matter what, which is can be the case sometimes, right? You've, you've, there's a bunch of different options, and this is just the least bad, and we're going with it. But looking at the situation in Afghanistan where the Taliban literally took over the whole country in like a week, less than a week, and he wants to blame the president who, flee, who flew out you know, immediately and then all the quote-unquote trained Afghani soldiers that we've been training for the for 20 years or whatever, they just dropped their stuff and left. Um, you're telling me that your intelligence department, all the resources that you have available, they said, yeah, Mr. President, like, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't pull out because the army sucks. They're not going to stand up well. The president, he's going to dip out as soon as possible. We already know that. That's not an excuse. What? Oh, I don't mean to yell. I'm just saying, like, that answer, like, PR, right? If I was a politician, if I was in the public eye, and someone asked you, well, could you have done that any better? Your answer should always be yes. Because it, you, it's true. Unless, I mean, man, I'm trying to think. Unless, like, in a dunk con contest, you've got all 10s, which means you got a 50, then no, you could not have done any better. Maybe to us, you know, subjectively, someone should have said, oh, you could have done that better. But you got a perfect score, right? Same thing with the SAT or stuff. But when someone asked you and how you carried out a very complex, you know, I don't know, mission, 
And he said, well, looking back, just on the last couple of days, could anything have been done better? And his answer is no, that there was already like chaos baked in. What? That, what was it, 80 something million people voted for this guy? Just because, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. Honestly, honest, let's be honest. All the people that voted for Joe Biden, all 80 million of them, 80 million plus, they all voted for him because, you know, get this, orange man bad. That's it. That was their whole, that was their whole platform. They didn't really have any like, here's what we're going to do. Here's where Trump's failed and where we're, we are going to succeed. It's just orange man bad. So let's uh, kick him out. So in my opinion, I think if if I was given the intelligence that said, yeah, uh, if we do this, the Taliban's probably going to take over pretty soon. Um, he even said, I think during the interview, that the intelligence he received said that yeah, it wouldn't really happen maybe until the end of the year. It shouldn't happen at all. That was what? You're really going to like... For what? What political, what has he gained, right? This has been a huge disaster. Huge, huge disaster. Um, that we, biggest that we've seen in a long time, right? And like, what is, what was, was, was it just all Joe? This is, this is what it looks like when it's pure Joe coming out of the White House, who's calling all the shots, right? No one's restraining him. No one's reminding him like, hey, 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 pay attention. No, this is him, uh, uh, Right before bedtime at 4 p.m. Or I guess dinner and then bedtime. Um, he's already in his pajamas. But this is him, full tilt. This is pure, uh, unadulterated Joe Biden, straight into the veins, right? If that's the case, oh my God. Because this is only like six months. What is it? No. Yeah. Well, I guess it's August. So it's like eight months-ish that he's been in office. We've still got like over three years of this guy, potentially. I mean, that's what you want to believe. That's how, how it usually goes. But I suspect, I I can smell a conspiracy theory brewing. I mean, it's not like I'm coming up with it. It's out there. It was out there since he decided that he was going to run, and the DNC kind of like made him win, uh, that there's going to be some sort of thing that happens. Maybe this was on purpose. Maybe they the people... Pulling the strings for Joe, or like, yo, let's just let we'll let Joe plan this, and then he'll look awful, and that'll be the, the first domino that we'll use, and then there'll be another failure and another failure, and then we'll be like, yeah, he's unfit to lead, we got to replace him, and then we'll put in Kamala Harris. That can't be. That can't be. It can't be. It's gonna be someone else. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Can you? Whenever you, I mean, there there's some. Uh, it's in the Constitution. Like if the 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 president's not mentally capable to do the job, and when it's a very stressful job and he's not capable of like holding a conversation or finishing a sentence, um, does the incumbent party get to pick who runs next, or it just automatically goes down to the VP? Because um, I doubt that if it is just goes down to the VP, that Kamala's going to be like, no. Nah, I don't really want to. It'll go down to Nancy or like, I don't think so. So yeah, that's just my little hot take on the whole thing. I mean, we have, we have, we haven't even mentioned the fact that if, when you look at the pictures of the planes taking off from that little airstrip to get out, um, 
vast, vast majority of the people that were like hanging on to the plan on the outside and who were sitting on the inside were young Afghan man, men. I never ever know how to say, is it Afghani? I don't know. They're people, they're young dudes from Afghanistan and they're running away, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe there's, there's just something about desiring freedom, desiring, like, like having patriotism for your country. Uh, it's just, it's a rare thing. And maybe it's tough to have patriotism for Afghanistan, right? Your country kind of blows. So, but I mean, like you should have left a long time ago. I mean, you're, you're surrounded by friendly Arab countries. So just go there. Um, but like, I don't understand Joe's response. Like there's already going to be chaos baked in. So you chaos like this, like the Taliban taking over all of Afghanistan that was baked in, you knew that was going to happen and you still went through with that. That makes it worse. You should have just said, I had no idea. This is crazy. You caught me off guard. You, that makes it worse because if I was present, I mean, and I have an IQ uh, of like two, two and a half, maybe on a good day, I would be like, if, if, you know, dudes who were in the uh, you know, intelligence community, they said, yeah, uh, if we do this, there's a good chance um, t- the Taliban takes over uh, with anywhere from a couple of days to a week to, to a couple of months. I'd be like, well, okay, well, we can't let that happen. So um, we definitely know where they are somewhere. Um, we just wipe them out. And then it'll be more more of a peaceful transition, right? That, I mean, that's what I would do. Wouldn't, wouldn't that, doesn't that make sense? I mean, they're, they're, they, the, the Taliban released a statement, right? How do they do that from like caves, right? They, they, have, they have some sort of set up spot where they can send emails, right? I don't understand. So you know where they are, at least a little bit. And even if you have like a general idea, copper bomb that place. We can do that. It's okay. Uh, or, or drone it up. Have like, 50 drones going and just like launch missiles down. Take out those guys, right? Take out the threat or threats. There are others because they were dealing with Al Qaeda too. So kill them if you can. One last, I mean, like use drones. So it's not even humans. You don't even get any PR if someone dies. Like, they're just drones. Blow them up and then leave. Because, like I said in the beginning, I do agree that we should leave now. It's It's been, it's well past our time. They should be able to figure it out on their own. Um, but doing this in this way really makes America look bad. And worse than any way that Trump made America look bad, right? Because um, at least Trump would be like, yo, allies, I got your back. I'm going I'm to help you out with whatever. This kind of screams to allies that America's kind of flaky right now because it's being run by a dementia patient. Um, so we don't really know what's going on out there. Um, so we're scared and we're unlikely to, uh, ask you for help. Um, this basically is like conceding world powerness, right? Being that number one spot and saying, you know what, China, you want to do it? Russia, any interest, anybody, anybody at all? Uh, I just think America is a, a net positive on the world. And this has been a very net negative action. So I kind of want to spend some time talking about someone or something that I like, and then we'll, we'll close it out, uh, switch it up, end it, on, end it on a positive note. And um, I want to talk about this guy named Brian Scalabrini. 
you know, so if you're not into basketball and you don't care about basketball, I'll catch you in the next one. But for people who want to hear about Brian, AKA the white Mamba, which is legit, uh, nickname as well as the ginger ninja, the ginger ninja, um, stick around. Cause we're going to talk about Brian Scalabrini, 2008 NBA champ, right? Uh, his career averages, I mean, prepare yourself. Three points, um, two rebounds, and an eighth of an assist. He couldn't even average a whole assist. Uh, let's see. I want to see like minutes played here. Um, what he was good at was shooting threes. Uh, well, this is this was before volume shooting threes, but even on low volume shooting threes, um, he shot pretty good. Not near the end of his career, obviously, but but early on, I mean, he would make like one out of two. <laughs> yeah, 0.9 out of 2.2, 1.1 out of 2.6, 2 out of almost 5, 6. So it's like these are good percentages. It's just like you should probably shoot more. Um, but why am I talking about this random guy who's drafted in this, with a sixth pick in the second round, right? 35th overall. Um, it's because of a video that I saw of, cause he's really into basketball. He's a, he's a hooper, right? Uh, oh, and also I'm going to give you his uh, measurables if I can. Um, so according to Google, he is, uh, it doesn't say his weight that, because that's an important number too. People don't realize these, how heavy these, here we go. He's six nine two thirty five. So there you go. He could shoot some threes, stretch the floor. This is before that was normal. Yeah, and on his Wikipedia page, it says he is the white mamba. I'm not sure he goes by that anymore, just you know, out of respect. But that, that's what people call him. He didn't ask for it. That's just how it was. And he played in the, in the NBA for like 11 years and got a ring, which is pretty awesome. He's only 43 right now. But there was this video I saw on YouTube that uh, showed – because he's a hooper. He loves basketball. He wants to keep playing. He's been going around to different gyms. Uh, I'm not sure in what L.A. or could be Boston. I don't know where this is. But he's playing one-on-one against this, like, pretty athletic. Um, I think it said – I think he said he was, he was a pretty – he was, like, a senior in high school or, like, a, a, a college player, like a D1 college player. But, like, to be D1 in college basketball, like, there's, like, 4 million schools. So, But I think it's something like that, like a, a high – overachieving high school player or just a regular D one basketball player. And they played a game to like 11 one-on-one or whatever. And he just dominated him, just dominated him. And you'd be like, Oh, cause he's like huge or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it was just like, I'm bigger than you. And so I'm going to score now. Um, but other times, cause he reacted to it in another video where he said like, once you play basketball for long enough, it only, he said it only takes a couple possessions to learn everything you need to know about the person, you know, what they do when they do this, what to do when they do that. Um, and then he's really great at manipulating his body to make the shooter as uh, uncomfortable as possible at the rim or from distance or whatever. And so he just dominated those guys. And, and this is the thing. last thing I want to say is this quote that he said, he said, cause you know, Brian Scalabrini is a meme and people only know him because he's, 
like this big white ginger guy um, who had some highlights, you know, so it's kind of funny, you know, and he leaned into it too. Um, but generally, all, I mean, I, I read his stats. He ain't good. He wasn't good. But, I mean, why did he play 10 years? Probably because he's a good locker room guy. But he was not, like, good in any sense of the word, except for maybe shooting threes. We didn't really shoot many. Um, but it's just this uh, – I'm not going to play the clip, but his his saying, he was saying that, you know, to any D1 athlete, any, any D1 basketball player, he, as a 43-year-old man, is closer in talent to LeBron than you are to – uh, anyone below you <laughs> to, to your rec league guy. So the distance between Brian Scalabrini, who's a 43 year old white guy who weighs like 250 pounds, um, says, and it's true because of his natural talent, which is being tall and heavy, but just his, um, like, uh, untangibles things. You, you can, you just get coached over time. His, his basketball IQ, Right. And just his overall skill set, so much closer to, in my opinion, the best player to ever play. Shocking. He's closer to that than you are <clears throat> to him. I think I said to the rec league guy, but it's the distance is true. So like the distance between some rec league player who's 11 and a D1 athlete who's 20 uh, is enormous. Um, but the distance between him and Scalabrini is bigger than the distance between Brian Scalabrini and LeBron James, which I think is A, true, uh, and B, uh, pretty hardcore. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm recording this late at night. Uh, I should not be sacrificing sleep to make podcasts for like random people. Uh, not even randoms, but basically my family, I guess, at this point. Um, but whatever, it's fun for me. I like complaining and sometimes I think I'm funny. So it's like, I'll throw it out there. Uh, but whatever, like I said before, I'm doing this for me. Um, I'm not sure if that's true anymore, uh, after buying this new mic and stuff. Um, but you can expect in the next couple of days. Um, who no, it's, it's only Monday. No. It's next, this upcoming Sunday is uh, I'm doing an interview with a friend of mine that I think I might've teased last episode, but yeah, I'm doing another interview with somebody who, uh, who I can talk politics with, who I can talk about job stuff with, who I can talk about anything with, and, uh, we can get his unique perspective. So, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I appreciate just the fact that you are, have listened to any part of it. I know most people don't listen to the whole thing. Uh, I know I wouldn't, but I appreciate that you uh, checked it out. So I'll catch you guys in the next one. P.S. You don't like beats and or songs I choose for my intros and outros? Please let me know. My Twitter handle is at giraffe underscore dog. Don't judge me. Um, and the email for this podcast is what's the deal, Alex Pod at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure you could figure out how to spell that. If you can't, let me know. 
but I guess through Twitter. Um, but thanks for listening, and I will catch you guys in the next one.